This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He's back. He's returned. Smiles in the nation's capital here in Kanakistan. Daniel Alfredson back in the mix with the Ottawa Senators, a role that has yet to be defined. No actual business card yet for Alfie in Ottawa. On the ice with, uh, with some of the players today going over skills issues with them. It's long been rumored that Alfredson's going to come back in some type of official capacity with the uh, the Ottawa Senators. Uh, today was the first glimpse. As I mentioned, no official title yet. Steve Steo saying they're trying to put something together, figure out what exactly his title, his position is going to be. And if I'm throwing a dart here at this one, um, I'm. And this is just based on who Daniel Alfredson is, and based on how he's acted in the past, it wouldn't surprise me if, A, this relationship now has been reopened, obviously, but B, I wonder if Alfredson waits until everything settles in Ottawa with the new ownership group and all the positions and all the people in those positions. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Alfredson continued to work with the Ottawa Senators, for the Ottawa Senators, in an as-of-yet undefined position and waited for everything to settle and people to settle into their spots until his title gets defined. Does that make sense? I hope so. Um, Haley Salvian coming up here in a couple of moments. She used to cover the Ottawa Senators, uh, sports and commentator, um, also writes for The Athletic. Haley Salvian coming up in a couple of moments. Bottom of the hour, Louis DeBrusque. We'll talk about that game. Wednesday, where the Oilers just got caved in. And I'll tell you, if Edmonton doesn't come out house on fire Saturday night, uh, nightcap game, hockey night in Canada, at that point you start to say, hmm, what's going on with the Oilers? Every team's going to have clunkers, right? Even great teams have clunkers. You're going to have four or five a season, right? Can't do it two in a row. And it's Vancouver and Edmonton one more time on Saturday. Look forward to that one on Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, we'll get into the Boston Bruins with Andrew Raycroft. Ian Mendez joins us at the uh, the bottom of hour two. Matt Marchese is always here. He'll chime in throughout the program today. Uh, but kicking it off is the one and only Sportsnet commentator, athletic writer, Haley Salvian. How are you today, Haley? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Hmm. I'm good. You're in the bestie spot today. Elliot's traveling, uh, and so we've upgraded uh, both okay. uh, both in terms no. of, of of in terms of in talent and composure and looks. So thank you for <laughs> filling this spot with uh, the, the 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 grace that you do. Um, Listen, I feel like Elliot's going to have Alfredson. a real problem with with that. Come on, that's so mean. Well, you guys spend listen, too much time uh, together. You should be nicer to. Yeah. <laughs> He's my he's my work spouse. We do spend way too much time together. That is absolutely true. Uh, Elliot's back on Monday, folks. Um, we'll see where the relationship's at then. Um, let me ask you, you used to cover the Ottawa Senators. I mean, that was your beat for a long time with the Athletic, yeah. and you know the relationship. I mean, as broken as it used to be between Daniel Alfredson and the Ottawa Senators, um, and, you know, not not to be too sort of crass or macabre about it, but... 
you know, since Eugene Melnick's passing, you know, that mm-hmm. that began the thaw between Daniel yeah. Alfredson and the Ottawa Senators on the ice today, helping the players uh, with various skills, etc. An undefined position. Uh, the way that I was trying to figure it out in my own little brain is I wonder if Alfredson just waits for everything to settle in the organization with the new ownership before his title gets defined, but just from, from yeah. your perspective, just the Alfredson situation, how we got here and, and how you see things progressing with Alfredson now that he's back in the mix with the sense. Wow, that was a very, very wordy way to get you to talk. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like it was one of those things where when I first got to Ottawa, and obviously, like, you know, Alfredson and you kind of know the history like just being a hockey fan who lives in Ontario like regardless of where you're from like you know Daniel Alfredson he was just that good and I remember getting to Ottawa and almost being like shocked at like where is Alfie and like why is he never around and you kind of get there and your boots on the ground and you kind of live it and it was one of those things where it's like my first beat and I was like oh like, this is kind of, what do you mean? Like, mm-hmm. this is weird. It was one of those moments of like, oh, I didn't really know it was kind of like this. And what was kind of unique was it's not like he left the city. Like, Daniel Alfredson was still, like, in Ottawa. He just didn't have a relationship yeah. with the senators. Like, this is a guy who's going to the mayor's breakfast at City Hall and doing, um, you know, he was still big in the community, and but he still had nothing to do with the hockey team. And I just think he's such an important figure in that market obviously a really important player like he's beloved by that fan base Uh, you know you saw every year like every year when he didn't get into the hockey hall of fame just like the outrage and the outcry from the fans like you know you just this is it would be like and i know you know jerome mcginley just started working with with the flames but it wasn't because there was a you know a particularly poor relationship it was he was working it would be like if jerome had nothing to do with the calgary flames for a decade or you know you have the sedines in vancouver like these are important figures um for their teams having a relationship and being with the teams like that's important for the fans they're such easy wins for the fan base for the team and so i think the idea of daniel alfredson having a meaningful role with the organization um is going to be huge it's going to be really important and i remember at one of those kind of mayor breakfasts at, at city hall alfredson kind of spoke i guess this was february of last year or you know february 2023 and kind of it was for the first time where he like finally kind of said on the record like i would love to have a meaningful role in hockey ops with the Ottawa Senators. Like, I can contribute. It's what I'm hoping for. We'll see what happens with the new ownership, but it's my dream job to work with the Sens. And I remember that just being, like, such a critical moment of, like, wow, it's the most definitive statement Alfred Zitt has made about what a role could look like with the organization. And obviously that came with the new ownership. So I don't know if he's going to, like, wait and see how things like totally play out. I think the fact that he's on the ice with the team or he was on the ice with the team today is such a significant moment too. And everything's kind of trending in the right direction to have, you know, an icon of that franchise who's in a really important time. You know, I think the Sens could be a really exciting team to watch in the Atlantic or in the wild card this year. You know, we keep talking like who's going to make the playoffs, who's going to make the jump next is it Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo. And I, 
I personally put the Sens at the top of that list. And I think if they can have, you know, a good season with the new ownership, um, with new players in the fold, new contracts, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko and all these extensions they're working on, they've got their great young core. And then I think having Alfredson involved would just be a cherry on top of, you know, a really optimistic time for for the Senators fans Mm -hmm. in that franchise right now. Uh, really quickly, uh, Devon Taves, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, yeah. just announcing on their social media a couple of minutes ago, seven-year contract extension. We'll try to find the uh, the decimal point here on this one. But uh, oh, one of the – man, this is going to be such such an interesting uh, free agent class in the offseason. But Devon Taves uh, re-ups with the Colorado Avalanche. We don't know the number, but it is a seven-year contract he was making 4.1 million dollars i would imagine that a raise would be significant here uh for devon taves um more more on that do you have a a, a thought on taves and the avalanche i I want to ask you one more question about alfredson but if you have a thought on taves go for it well when i was looking when i had seen elliot tweet um before he went on his flight um i started kind of thinking like what are some kind of fair comparables to Devon Taves right now and I think I was looking and obviously they're not like the same type of player but I felt like the Mackenzie Weger deal that he just signed in Calgary in October was like could be maybe something that could work um it's not a huge age difference Weger was 29 uh when he signed that extension which is a year younger than Taves will be at the start of this next deal not a huge age difference. Weger signed eight years, six point two five million. So if it's a seven year deal, you think you'll get a raise, what, probably in like the six to eight million dollar range? I feel like eight might be <laughs> a bit high. Like he's not gonna be I don't know, the Dougie Hamilton deal was yeah. seven times nine. I think that's probably out of the realm of possibility. Like McAvoy's making nine point five. Lindholm's eight six point five. So you're kinda looking at those other defenders in similar age who've signed recently in like seven times seven, seven times 6.5. I think that's fair for a guy like Devontae. He's important to what they do. Obviously, Kale McCarr is yep. the straw that stirs the drink there in, in so many ways, but he's a really valuable piece. So I'm, I'll be curious to see what the AAV is because I was looking at the comps. And- yeah, we'll... Uh, we'll- yeah. Interesting. It's uh, it's it's an it. He's not gonna listen. He's not gonna approach Kale McCarr numbers. No. Um, but he's also gonna get paid more than Samuel Gerrard and Josh Manson, and they're yeah. at five and and four point five million dollars. So six six point five, and uh, maybe seven. Dare we say for for Devon Taves? I mean, he would have, you know, been one. Of, I mean, Brian Burke always makes the point. There's two days on the calendar where general managers always overpay, and it's always overpaying for defensemen. One is trade mm-hmm. deadline, and the other is July 1st. And if you look right. at the, uh, you look at the free agent class specifically around blue liners this year in the off season, it's not exactly thunderous. Like Taves no. hitting the open market this summer, he could have really put a dent uh, in someone's salary cap here and really set himself up. We'll see what the number ends up being here for Devon Taves, but uh, that's the latest seven-year contract extension. Uh, for the number two defenseman uh, with the Colorado Avalanche. So now they have their number one pair all fully locked up, and maybe that's the best pair. I certainly think so in the entire NHL. Okay, one more thought on on Alfredson here. Do you get a sense that no matter which ownership group was successful in purchasing the Ottawa Senators, that Alfredson was going to be involved no matter what? I think so. I like. I mean, unless they, unless Daniel Alfredson had 
you know, beef with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Why not? You know, maybe maybe he didn't wasn't a particularly big fan of like Snoop Dogg, you know, gin and juice. I don't know, but I I don't. And you know, this is just me spitballing. Like I don't have that kind of direct line or that kind of insight into Alfredson. Like I know you have Ian Mendes coming up, so maybe he'll be able to speak to that better. But I feel mm. like whatever the fresh start looked like. I think that he would have been involved because, you know, as I sit back in February, he's talking, yeah. you know, they didn't know that it was Ann Lauer in February, but he came out and said, it's my dream job to be involved. And, you know, he said, like, we'll see how it goes. So maybe he was waiting to see, like, is it going to be a legit owner? Like, how long is this going to take? Like, what would it look like? But I think the fact that he came out and said, it's my dream job to be involved in mm. this organization in a meaningful way, I think it probably would have taken something disastrous. Um, with this kind of takeover, the new ownership to to not have Alfredson involved. Okay, a couple of games from last night. I want to get your thoughts on um, mm-hmm. the Detroit Red Wings and the New Jersey Devils. I, I know I tend to blather on a lot here on this program about the <laughs> Devils, and I'm not going to stop now with you, Haley Salvian. Um, <laughs> Jack Hughes front and center with a pair of goals, including one from behind the goal line where he banked it off Billy Huso's yeah. head. Uh, and yeah. did so deliberately and said so after the game. Like, yeah, you guys have seen me. I do that all the time. Like, that's that's part of my bag of tricks. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Jack Hughes here, uh, who's yeah. you know, shooting for 50 goals and looking for that elusive 100 points with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, your thought on, on what we saw yesterday, and for my money, if, if Vitek Vanishak doesn't stand on his head in the first period, we're not talking about the Devils' first win of the season, are we? Yeah, definitely, because I thought um, the Red Wings, and the Red Wings, too, are are an interesting team for me. And my colleague Max Boltman had a really great piece on The Athletic recently about this and how this is a team that still kind of considers themselves, excuse me, to be rebuilding, but their average age uh, is around 27, which is closer to the Vegas Golden Knights of the world versus the Ottawa Senators Mm -hmm. and the Buffalo Sabres, like younger, like rebuilding team so I find the Red Wings to be really interesting in that respect sorry Jeff and I thought they came out really strong I thought my goodness one second I just had my wisdom teeth taken out so I'm a disaster (laughs) sorry I've been spending a drink of water it's all all good show's not going anywhere anybody yeah it's really good radio (laughs) hearing me you know start coughing and having a you know, an issue here. Um, but I thought the Red Wings actually still better you know, than Elliot. That's probably, I always, I love listening and hearing Elliot like on a walk and talking to people and you can hear him like <laughs> finding his keys oh, and yeah. putting his shoes on. It's like, I wonder what Elliot's doing today. He's like on his little hot girl walk every, every day when he's on the show. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's ignoring me in the process. Um, yeah, you're right. Like the, um, yeah, the Wings thought... are an interesting squad. It, se- it seemed as if two years ago, Steve Eisman was told, okay, uh, rebuilds are nice, but let's get some players on this team. And it yeah. was the David Perrons right this way. And this summer was more of the same. And it was, you know, the Brinka Trey, JT Comfer signing, Shane Gostas Bear right this way. Like, I'm with you. This is one of the more intriguing, I'm using air quotes here, rebuilds that we've seen yeah. around the NHL. Mm-hmm, because right now their young core is really what Alex Dabrinkit, Dylan Larkin, um, Moritz Sider, and Lucas Raymond, right? And there's a lot riding on Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider taking steps in the right direction. They were both great as rookies, but last year was a little bit slower 
Um, you have to hope that Alex Brinkett, I mean, he got his first goal as a Red Wing hometown team. You got to hope that yep. him and Larkin work well together. Um, so they're interesting. But to your original point with Vitek Vanacek, you know, he made a ton of really good saves until the Devils were able to find their game. And their game is that like electric, fun, fast paced, like high flying offensive style. And we see that, you know, through Jack Hughes, yeah. who is probably one of my favorite players in the NHL to watch right now. Like, I think if I'm, you know, Same. bored and I don't have a game that I need to watch for work, I mean, I'm not going to say bored. I'm just sitting at home and the Devils are on. I'm, I'm going to watch them. That's where they're at for me this year. Um, and I think Vanacek kind of being the guy in the early stages while the offense kind of warmed up and then started to click, and obviously they, they win that game. Four to three, Jack Hughes gets the two goals. Uh, you know, I think it's it's – important because you know he's going to be so critical to what they do right if Vitek Vanacek can you know hold his own in a metro division that has Igor Shosturkin and Ilya Sorokin in it then the Devils are going to be fine like we know that this is a team that's going to be in a battle to win the metro against two teams with really good goalies and then you know the Carolina Hurricanes who have such an excellent defensive structure that their goalie tandem you know they've got to be solid but they don't have to do much So as great offensively as the Devils are, like it really is going to be important for him to do what he did last night, which is kind of slow the other team down, don't let them get down, don't let them get behind too much, and then let Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and Timo Meyer, Dougie Hamilton go to work. (laughs) And if he can do that, then I think the Devils are going to be great. And I know a lot of people kind of, didn't believe in Vanacek as a starting goalie last year. That was such a big conversation, right? It's like, have they found their guy? Yeah. Like goalie controversy in New Jersey is not a new thing. It's like, okay, when are they going to get their number one? And they come back into this season, they say it's still going to be Vitek Vanacek. And you've got to hope that he's going to do what he did last night for 81 more games. I mean, he's going to have some blips and some, some off yeah. nights here and there, but you've got to hope that that's what they're going to get consistently from him. Uh, really quick, Frank Saravelli reporting uh, Daily Faceoff. The AAV on Devon Taves is 7.25. Wow. That's a real nice number for Devon Taves. Yeah. Good for him. I wasn't him. too far off. Ring <clears> the <throat> bell. Yeah, well done. Yeah. And well done, Haley Salvian. Good job with your comps. Thank you. Um, yeah, okay, Rangers. <laughs> Let me get into it with you and the New York Rangers yesterday. So this was supposed to all be about the Buffalo Sabres, right? Uh, Key Bank is packed. Uh, a nice little, you know, uh, ceremony uh, before the game. We're all thinking about uh, Rick Jenneret, uh, and you hear his audio after a Sabres goal now, which is a really nice touch in the in, in the rink. That is uh, Dan Dunleavy stepping into some some really big shoes here. Dan Dunleavy, who you know started here at, at 590 so many years ago, back in the in the early 90s. Now the full time play by play voice for the Buffalo Sabres, um, and the New York Rangers flat out ruined the night for the yeah. Buffalo Sabres and front and center as much as we'll talk about Chris Kreider and yes he scores on the power play again and Artemi Panarin was excellent again front and center for a lot of people one goal and one assist Alexi Lafreniere and was there a player in the NHL maybe Jacob Markstrom who needed to have a great first game more than Alexi Lafreniere because he delivered it last night for the Rangers yeah, I don't know. I think someone would need to make a strong case for their being in different another skater who needed to get out to a better start than him. And I'm I'm actually you know hopeful for what Laviolette is going to mean for somebody like Alexi Lafreniere and and the Rangers in general. Right? Thought last year or the last few years was that Gerard Gallant was kind of holding back this like 
high skill team. He wasn't letting the young players flourish. I mean, how many different lines and line mates did we see Alexi Lafreniere have last season? And then, you know, he mm-hmm. starts the year, he's playing with Panera and he's got a goal and an assist. Um, and, you know, nobody has a bigger smile post game than Alexi Lafreniere. So I think, you know, it, it was been, it's been interesting the last few years. Cause it's like almost a chicken and the egg scenario. Cause it's like, well, he needs to play well to get those top line minutes. And it's not like he wasn't given opportunity. He didn't always do anything with the opportunity, but he also wasn't being given it yeah. on a consistent basis. So it's like, here's a quick, here's a quick couple games. Here's a cup of coffee on the top line. Well, now you're on this line. Now you're on the left wing. Now you're up the middle. Now you're on this wing. Like there was just no consistent space for him and maybe no consistent role. And I think if he can find a space on this Rangers team this year under a coach in Laviolette where he has a defined role and he has a defined place in the lineup where he can just kind of go out and play that game, then he's going to be somebody that can benefit from that. I know a lot of people kind of want to say like, oh, it's over. Uh, you know, he's he's not going to be as good as we thought he was. But, you know, I, I still mm-hmm. am cautiously optimistic for the player that he can be in the NHL, I you know, Maybe I'll be wrong about that, but I'm not somebody who likes to write off players who are still what? Is he like 23? <laughs> 22? 20 checks and notes here. 22 years old. 22 years oh, old. God. Yeah. That's ancient in the NHL now, right? <laughs> that's right. If you don't have a 50 goal season under your belt by the time you're 50, by the time you're 22 years old, like yeah. that's it, you're washed. Sorry. Um, real quick, you know, you know what? Speak, speaking of Lafreniere, and he was the first overall draft pick in that really interesting. I mean, that was one of the COVID drafts, but circling circling this conversation back to Ottawa, I'm still really impressed. And this goes to Pierre Dorian and his, 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 his entire scouting staff, his, his amateur scouts how they were able to, with picks three and five in the top mm-hmm. five, maybe pull the two best top five players out of that draft in Tim Stutzla and Jake Sanderson, when all around was the Raymonds and the Byfields and the Lafreniere's, um, there's Pierre Dorian pulling out Tim Stutzla and Jake Sanderson. That's mm-hmm. some really interesting tiptoeing through some landmines, if you catch my drift, Haley. Yeah, listen, you're bringing up probably my favorite era of my hockey writing career because I don't know if I had more fun covering um, an NHL team than I did that year where the Sens had two picks in the top five because all I did was just talk to college coaches and junior coaches and coaches from Europe and just say, like, all right, Mm. where are the options? And I remember laying out all of them, and I remember hearing, hey, if you don't have Jake Sanderson on your – top five candidates list like you probably should do it and I was like huh that's weird and I remember writing a story saying like making the case for Jake Sanderson to go at number five and the outrage being like what are you talking about your galaxy braining this because that was a draft remember Jeff that was just flushed with forward talent and it was like why would they do this they need to take two centers they need to take two forwards and I remember talking to Brad Berry from North Dakota and being like immediately sold on this guy and then like watching some of their games and seeing like, you know, how smooth of a skater he is. Like he very quickly in that kind of first year at North Dakota, after he got drafted, showed people like, Hey, maybe this was a good pick. And then he gets to the pro level and everyone's like, Oh, like this guy, this guy actually might be the real deal. So I've been a big Jake (laughs) Sanderson, like truth there for so long. And I remember that was like, 
you know, it was the end of my second year in Ottawa, and that's when Sens fans were like, oh, maybe she knew something. Very Is interesting. It... That's like okay. one of my Let... biggest prideful moments was being right about the Jake Sanderson thing. But even with Tim Stutzlow, that was one of the ones where Corey Pronman, to his credit, was the one saying, like, if there yeah. is one player who's going to be better than the consensus number one overall pick, it's going to be Tim Stutzla, and he's not going to start at center right away. He's going to take some time in the wing, but he can drive play. He's got skill. He can shoot the puck. He's, like, the total package, and he's so exciting to watch, and he's become that with the Sens, and, like, he's, I mean, he's a superstar. And that, one of the reasons why I'm, you know, optimistic and excited to watch this Sens team this season. They've got just so much good young talent on that roster. Okay, let, let me ask you one more question as we look backwards sure. to that to that draft. I'm, I'm, yeah. Is it true, because the rumor was out there, is it true that the late Ottawa Senators owner Eugene Melnick um, tried to convince Pierre Dorian to use one of those top five picks on Yaroslav Askarov, the netminder? remember hearing something like that like just saying like we need to yeah. go and get this guy like I remember hearing yes. that and I don't remember who it was from and I don't remember if it was like how legitimate that was but I very distinctly remember hearing like be ready for them to do this like this is what they want from the top and I you know what I don't know if it was Eugene or if it was like maybe it was Pierre telling Trent Mann, like this is what we need to do or vice versa. Honestly, like I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember hearing whispers of like, oh my God, yeah. are they going to do this? Obviously they didn't, but I, I could never track down where that came from or if it was true, but that was definitely a thing. Well, the, the, the story, Haley, that, that, that I had heard was that Eugene Melnick, um, I don't want to say sort of discovered, you know, pros- hockey prospects, uh, you know, the, the, the subsection of hockey Twitter that is prospecting and went down like rabbit hole after rabbit hole and kept coming back to a scar off. And that was it for him. And was like, he was I want uh, trying to convince him. Pierre Dorian that they need to get this guy. We need to get this goaltender. That was that was what I, I was never get, able to get confirmation on any of this. So it's completely an irresponsible conversation uh, that we're having with an owner who's you know no longer you know with us to even explain or deny. But that was the uh, the whisper going around. Um, really quickly, yeah. let me uh, ask you about one team in specific, and it's an zero and two team, and we wonder are they closer to the first year or the second year. Who yeah. are the Seattle Kraken? <laughs> I'm not sure yet. I think the Kraken were so interesting last year because they really challenged us to think about, you know, hockey when it comes to that star power versus depth conversation, right? Like they go into the playoffs and they beat the Avs mm-hmm. and they have a really good second year and they don't really have, I mean, they have Jared McCann who scores 40 goals and you've got a bright young player and, Maddie Beniers, like they've got enough there, but they didn't have like that stud, that star player, and it still worked um, in year two. Obviously, year one did not go well for the Seattle Kraken, and now, yeah, they're 0-2, and we're kind of questioning again, like, okay, can they get through this um, with just depth versus star power? Obviously, we know Shane Wright is in the American Hockey League, and I, I mean, obviously you, you hope he's in in the NHL right now, but I'm glad that he at least has the opportunity to play in the AHL this season. Cause my God, he played for what five different teams and different leagues last season, which 
is unfortunate for and him and, and his growth. Where um, do I live? Where yeah, do I go? Where's I my home? Where, where am I living today? And I'm 18 <laughs> years old. Where do I live? Definitely a weird yeah. thing. That's some, you know, that's a rant for another day. You know, that agreement that doesn't let players who are too good for junior hockey, not good enough for the AHL, not play in the American League. But I digress. I think the Kraken are a yeah. really interesting team because I, I do think they're probably a team that ends up being somewhere in the middle of, of year one and year two, right? And I think Kraken fans will say, like, no, no, we can do it again. Like, we were great last season. Um, but the fact is, is they were the best five-on-five shooting team last season and that's not exactly something that's going to stick year over year is have i don't know the exact number but their five on five shooting percentage was number one in the league and it was like very high and not exactly a recreatable mm-hmm. thing for long-term success right so i think we'll probably see some regression from the crack and not all the way down to where they were in year one i still think that's a good team i still think they have a lot of good pieces I think goaltending will probably be something that's an X factor for that team as it is for, for most, like, let's be, let's be honest here. Goalies are part of the team too. And they're important. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think when it comes, like, is Jared McCann going to score 40 again? Is the whole team going to shoot at what? I don't even know what it was last year, 15, 20% again. Like, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think you can bet on that happening. So Mm -hmm. I think we'll see some regression from the Kraken. Um, Will they beat the abs in the first round of the playoffs again? No, I don't think so. If that's to, to happen again, are they a playoff team? I'm, I'm not totally sure. I don't think they're going to be as bad. You know, my colleague Dom Lustician has them, you know, in the bottom 10 in the league based on his model. And I don't think they're going to be that bad, but I don't know if they're going to be, you know, mm. upsetting the abs in round one again. Yeah, that's a that's a, a really good point. I think sh- uh, average shooting percentage around the NHL, I think it's I think is it like twelve percent? I want to say, mm-hmm. and yeah, they were shooting some ungodly number. And listen, yeah. you had Daniel Sprong, folks, and you let him go, and he <laughs> scored the first goal for the Detroit Red Wings last night. I'm just saying, yeah. I'm just saying, Daniel Sprong, just, just well, Sprong magic. The thing last uh, year was there was that depth, right, Jeff? And they had guys like Daniel Sprong, yeah. and, and they let him go, and they replaced. Daniel Sprong with like Kyler Yamamoto, um, you know, is that going to work? Uh, you know, is Yamamoto going to be, have the same impact as Daniel Sprong? Um, you know, on the back end, you hope that Vince Dunn can prove that his breakout season wasn't, you know, just a one-off. You hope that McCann can score at that clip again, that Maddie Beniers is going to, you know, continue to be a solid number one or top six center. Um, you hope that Brian Dumoulin's a, mm-hmm good replacement on the blue line for Carson Soucy. Like they, they made some changes to that depth and that depth was what made them so strong. And I think if you're the Kraken or you're their fans, you just kind of hope that those players are adequate replacements. Let me end, end on this one. You know who could use Vince Dunn right about now, even though they did pick up an important road point last night, the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> can oh really God, they didn't do Vince anything Dunn to fix that. Terrible defense like or PK. Terrible, terrible. I know. I know. Okay, we got to hustle. Uh, great stuff, Haley, as always. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, Alfie's back in Ottawa, so that begins to end uh, that story, which uh, you were right there for uh, the beginning of uh, when everything started to uh, to get going. Um, Salvian, have a great weekend, and uh, take care of your chompers, okay? Yeah, thanks. Have a good one. She is fresh off dental surgery. Uh, The one and only Haley Salvian, uh, Sportsnet hockey commentator and writer at The Athletic. Uh, We will hit a break. We're going to come back with Louis DeBrusque, uh, analyst for the Edmonton Oilers. What was that on Wednesday? 
everything from the goalies were really hard to hit to the Vancouver Canucks just pretty much having their way with every single defenseman. Oh, uh, oh yeah, that's a uh, that's an Evan Bouchard goal there. We'll pin the uh, the tail on him there, and oh, that's a Brett Kulak uh, mistake right there. That's going to lead to another goal. What was that on Wednesday, and how do they rectify it? on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday as the Oilers face off against the Vancouver Canucks one more time. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Only two games on the board tonight around the NHL. New Jersey Devils back in action. Jack Hughes back in action as the uh, the Devils face off against the Arizona Coyotes. Logan Cooley looking your direction. And the Pittsburgh Penguins face off against the Washington Capitals. Yes, the uh, the Sid Ovi war uh, rages once again. Something that we've still not tired of going back to the... Well, 2005-2006 season. Thank you very much. Uh, what was that on Wednesday? First of all, congratulations to the Vancouver Canucks. A very successful start to their season. Really happy for Brock Besser. Meanwhile, other end of the ice, outside of the Leon Dreisaitl one-timer from the quote-unquote impossible angle, there really wasn't much to write home about from the Oilers. Can they turn it around tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada against those very same Vancouver Canucks. Here's Louis DeBrusque with that answer from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. Louis, how are you today, pal? I'm doing well, Jeff. How you doing, bud? Uh, I'm good. So what was that on Wednesday? Like, I know even elite teams have clunkers. It's going to happen. <laughs> You're going to get four or five, maybe yeah. six of them every yeah. season. But, I mean, that's one that you just sort of crumple up and throw in the wastebasket. Or do you look at that and say, okay, there's some learning to be done here. Like, yeah. Louis, how do the Oilers look at that first game? <laughs> I think it's a combination, Jeff. I really do. I think parts of it, you just literally control, alt, delete. And then some of it, you're going to have to look at, especially the system play and try and uh, listen. There were some lucky bounces. You have to give Vancouver credit, though. They created those bounces. And I've always said that. Yep. You're lucky to be good, good to be lucky. You know, it's it's kind of, you know, sometimes you, the way you're playing, the way you're putting pucks to the net, the aggressiveness, the attacking, I mean, all of the above for Vancouver in that game, they came at Edmonton very hard, and Edmonton got caught a little flat-footed at times, out of position at times, and the Canucks took advantage of that. So I know that's something they're going to dial in. Uh, just heading down to practice as we speak here, and uh, I'm sure they're going to have yeah. some meetings and conversations about their system, about what they have to make sure they control or what they can try and control. And then, listen, the energy level. It was right from the get-go. I thought Edmonton was the better team in the first eight, nine minutes of the game. They had the better chances, and then, bang, a power play for Edmonton, good kill by Vancouver, and it seemed after that the tide switched. And when they got that first goal by Besser, and it was a lack of coverage on that goal, too, he was left alone right in the slot. Three guys were around him, but not near enough to be a threat to deny him. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And, you know, I think if you look at the guys after the game, too, from their post-game interviews from Jay Woodcroft, um, I mean, that clock couldn't have ticked down fast enough in the third period. It was just one of those games you knew that you were Mm -hmm. done, and it's like, okay, let's get on to the next. Let's learn from this, and hopefully they can take something out of that game and bring it forward to tomorrow night. 
Uh, I, I want to get to the uh, the Matthias Ekholm uh, question here in a couple of seconds, but I, I want to just have a brief conversation about the netminders. And uh, I think a lot of us are all really pulling for Jack Campbell uh, and having you know uh, done a lot of work to, to help himself both on and off the ice in the off season. Um, eh, not the start that Jack Campbell wanted to his season and neither did, you know, uh, Stuart Skinner. Both had faced 16 shots, both surrendered four goals. Um, yep. I mean, the, the harsh, the, if you want to try to give it a gentle landing, you could say, well, you know what? The goalies were hard to hit, which sounds like a compliment, <laughs> but it's really not. Uh, how did you see the goaltending on Wednesday? Because if you've been involved in games like this, like, okay, so Kulak turns it over. It's a goal. Bouchard turns it over. It's a goal. There are some games where, yeah. as a player, you're saying, "I just need a save." Like, does every turnover have to find the back of the net? Well, you know, and listen, I know that every goaltender um, feels the same way, and they say that they they believe they they can stop every shot, even the ones that you say it's an Alexander yep. Ovechkin ripper from the slot, bar in on the glove hand side, coming cross grain. They'll say to you, yeah, I can make that save. Yeah, I get that. I know you can make that save. Is it a save you should have made? Probably not. Um, I felt bad for Jack Campbell, though. I really did. He had a great preseason. He really did. He looked rejuvenated. He came in. Let's face it, Jeff, this is a tough market to play in. And I've said that always. Any Canadian market, for that matter. Um, You're under a microscope, and especially with the season he had last year, he put a lot of work in the summer. He comes in, and he looked great. He looked really solid in the preseason. I look at that game again, and I lump both goaltenders in with the whole team in that situation. Uh, I think the team in front of them left them hanging out to dry a bit. Uh, I really do. But at the same time, I don't think there was any goals that I was watching, especially from Campbell, that I'm like, he should have made that save. You know, and if you break down the goals that were scored scored against him, I mean, it's pretty easy to see what was going on. That was a mercy pulling by Jay Woodcroft. That wasn't because of how he was playing. Brock Besser... Um, shot from the slot we talked about. It's screened by Darnell Nurse, posting in. Okay, you clap your hands. Great release by Besser. Gets it away quick. He had to get it away that quick because Nurse was there, but he was just a step too far away, couldn't get to him. Used him as a screen. you got to just tip your hat sometimes. The one that went off his foot. So that's meant to go from coast to coast over to J.T. Miller. He actually still got his pad down. He was able to correct not going across and put his pad down. It just went off the toe of Besser's skate and found its way under the pad. You go, okay, what are you going to do in that situation? Nothing you can do, right? The one, the second mm-hmm. Besser goal was batted out of the air. Um, I mean, it was a first shot on a, on a play into, into the zone. He makes the first save. He makes the second save on J.T. Miller as the rebound popped right out to him. Nobody picked him up going to the net. And then the third whack was Besser out of the air as Campbell with his blocker was trying to scoop it back from going into the net. So he made the first two saves, and yet they still got to the puck the third time quicker than Edmonton got to that puck. So, I mean, honestly, like I'm not trying to make any excuses here. It was a terrible start for the team, and it was a terrible start for Jack Campbell with what he did to put the work in and get to that point. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he gets a start again tomorrow night. Um, I don't, we don't know who's going to start yet, but it's almost like I said, control, delete, let's try starting this again is my mentality. I don't know if Jay's going to do that. I truly don't, but it wouldn't surprise me if he does. And as far as Stuart Skinner going in there, same situation. It was, it was, it was just, you know what? Listen, they were on it. Vancouver was on it. They had their number. 
And right from the start to finish, aside from the first 10 minutes of the game, in my opinion, a few pushes by Edmonton where they made it 4-1 on the power play goal by Dreisaitl, but then a penalty that shouldn't have been taken by Bouchard cost them another power play goal against, and the game was over. Well, you know what, Louie? Uh, when I'm playing beer league, I have a, a standard saying. I'm a defenseman, and before the game, I always go over to my net miter and I say, look, if you're not going to stop shots three, four, and five, don't bother with one and two. <laughs> Just don't bother with one and two. Just let it in. All right. Yeah, you know, like, um, you know what, listen. Leon... Like, you know, it's really important, though, Jeff, and here's the thing, and you mentioned it earlier. They are – that's funny. That's good. You yeah. know what, because you get a lot of shots, and then, you know, when you're playing long oh, hockey, it's like, you, do. you better be good. <laughs> and you know what? Some of the best performances ever on this planet have been in, in those games because when you get a hot goalie yes, in sir. that type of a game, they're really hot. Yes, like, sir. It's, it's incredible. But anyway, <laughs> I was going to say, you mentioned it earlier about changing the system. And there is an, there is an adjustment yeah. going here by Evanson, and they got caught in it a bit. They really did. So it was a real good learning mm. curve, and I, I, I had a quick conversation with Glenn Gullitson, and, you know, obviously the coaches understand it's game number one, but, you know, sometimes you can look at a game like that and say this might, might be okay to happen early in the season. As hard as it is, as painful as it feels, and this thing that it, it delivers, it's like, okay, we need to be better. And I think to a man, that's what every guy said, like I said, it's one game out of 82. I think they'll be better. And I think, you know, I got to tip my hat to Vancouver. That was a team that's been through a lot in the last couple of years. A lot of noise off the ice. Yeah. And uh, they've got a little chip on their shoulder. They have some superstars over on that side, too. Some very elite players that can get the job done. And they got the job done. They really do. Um, you know, this may sound like I'm making an excuse. And maybe I am. But I'll, I'll phrase it in a very particular way. I still think Edmonton would have lost based on how the game went, but how different would the game have been if Matthias Ekholm were in the lineup for Edmonton? Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I know that it's, they miss him dearly because he's that important to the team. Oh, yeah. He really is. I mean, when he came on board last year, he's just such a solidifying player in the especially in the back end but overall just he, he's a he's a viking for crying out loud like you see this guy and he's just he's got that imposing yeah. he's got the beard he's just like he's a physical guy um <laughs> I, I i mean i called him the mean swede when he first came around because he was you know he'd get in front of the net and he'd be bashing guys in nashville and they just seemed to turn out defensemen left and right in that organization yeah. it's incredible yeah. But, you know, um, just a great human being, too. Stayed here all summer in Edmonton. Really unfortunate that he's dealing with an injury that he just hasn't been able to play yet. And I'm not sure if he's able to play on Saturday. I know he is skating with the team. He traveled with the team. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that he's getting close. He's getting very close. Would it have been different? I mean, one player, especially his caliber, makes a huge difference in a game, especially on the back end. It allows you to slot guys where they're supposed to be slotted. It allows you to play him with a young guy and settle him down like a Broberg or what we saw him do with Bouchard last year. They've been trying Darnell Nurse with Devin Bouchard. Um, Game one, I'm sure they're probably going to look at that and say, okay, we might need to rethink this or we might need to give him another opportunity to try and figure that out, whichever direction they want to go. But no question – um, let's face it, him and Darnell Nurse are the two, you know, lockdowns on that left side that are going to eat a ton of minutes, essentially half the game if they have to, mm-hmm. each respectively, in all situations. And uh, he is dearly missed right now because that's the one area that they're trying to bring in some young guys in, in Broberg. You know, DeHarnay still 
figuring it out. And he, he has his part on the team. Bouchard isn't that old relative to, to the league. You know, he's really just coming into his own. So to have those veteran presences, not only for the defensemen, but also for the entire game and especially a system that uh, – He's going he's gonna to be able to lock that system down, right? He, a guy that's been around for that long has obviously played that type of a system. In Nashville, they played a tight system that he was comfortable with. So he just makes everybody feel a little bit looser when you're trying to deal with that on the bench and on the ice. They miss him, but I don't know if it would have changed anything on uh, Wednesday night. You know, uh, Louis, I don't know if you've ever played in one. I don't even know if this has ever happened before. Uh, I think this is the first time I've ever seen two teams each play a man short 11 and 6 on both sides have you ever seen that before no. anywhere you know what i don't like it i'm just going to say that i mean as an ex player i don't like that two roster spots aren't by, being used essentially by a player well one if you've got a guy in, uh, that's hurt and you don't have him on the ir like nima linen is with edmonton right now um yeah. I, I don't think that's why the cap was put into place was for trying to fill out a roster but it seems like it's it's becoming too common for me, Jeff. And I think there was four teams that opening yeah. that Wednesday night that played short. Um, they played short last year. They played one man down last year, the opener against Vancouver. This is the first time I've seen it where both teams that I can remember, like yourself, where both teams were short. But yeah. I got to tell you, I, I thought maybe in the last couple of years, seeing that this was happening on a regular basis, there would have been some sort of an amendment they could have made to make sure that teams could max out their roster rather you know, cap the salary that you can bring in for those players that are, uh, you know, going to be in the roster or entry-level deals are exempt once you get to a point um, with injuries and stuff that you can't mm-hmm. fill out your roster, whatever it is. I don't, you know, we could go, oh, we could have a list of things they could potentially do to make sure that rosters are filled. But I think that's a, a direct reflection, obviously, of the salary cap only going up $2 million in the last five years. I'm sorry, these, these teams and general managers, yep. and I say managers, plural, because in this day and age, you have multiple managers that have to manage exactly that. Um, they, 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 they sign these contracts, and especially the multi-year contracts, expecting there to be a bump here and there, expecting there to be a little bit more each and every year, and it just hasn't happened. And it's, it's been a lot of teams, and, and there's so many teams. I would say half the teams have been dealing with this in the last couple of years where they've had to yeah. really shuffle the deck, and especially when you start to get good, Jeff, that's when it gets really difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll throw another cap situation at you here. here here's another question. We'll, we'll, we'll end on this one. Uh, and I asked someone who deals with the, the salary cap on a, on a daily basis, and he said, geez, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that would be. Let's say, because as we all know, the max a player can earn is 20% of the salary cap. Let's say someone is earning 20% of the salary cap, and the salary cap goes down. Does he have his contract restructured? Because now he's earning more yeah. than twenty percent, and then the CBA, well, the know, max you know he can what? earn is like it's a it's a hypothetical, and it'll never happen. But just out there for for giggles, what do you do? You know, or or like you know, you can you can nominate one luxury player. I've always said this all along. I've always said this is the easiest thing. Okay, um, the buyouts. Mm-hmm. I say you should be able to buy out one player a year. One player a year where the team has to pay Am- them amnesty. Money. Has to pay them full money, though. They don't get get any percentages. You can use it once a year to pay out a player, but that player gets his full salary. Okay, so what it does is it pays a player. Somebody else is coming in and and making money as well as a player. The players would 100% agree to it because 
you're not losing any money on a contract that you fought hard to sign. The general managers probably would agree to it because it would free up space if they needed to. Now, I know that the implications of it are great, but how often would you use it? You know, and if you did use it, it still gives that player the right to go out there and sign somewhere else for less and play again. Like, it's not... Yeah. I just think that you need to give them a little bit of an opportunity to kind of, especially with what's happened in the last five years, let's face it, it's been crunching, or a luxury player like you see in other leagues where, you know, you can have a player that has a contract that, you know, one one contract that's exempt somehow. Like you, you're allowed to have one or two players mm-hmm. on your team that don't count against the cap because they're considered a whatever you want to call them. But uh, I don't know. I, I know player. we can sit here and we, franchise franchise, player, thank, thank, thank you very much. That's the word. You can you can you can beat this up as much as you want. They haven't changed it, and now these yeah. teams are really at the crunch. But the good news is, hopefully, that we're looking at a bump next year, and I think this will start to settle some of this stuff. And the year following as well. Up against yeah. the clock, yep. Louis. Always great yep. with you, my friend. Uh, enjoy the action on the weekend, pal. We'll catch up soon. Look forward to it, Jeff. Thanks, bud. There is the great Louis DeBrusque, uh, analyst for the Edmonton Oilers on Sportsnet, also Hockey Night in Canada. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook bet local, our man Matty Marchese. Uh, with a pick for the weekend, let's go Hockey Night in Canada styles. Matty, what are you thinking? Yeah, uh, Blackhawks at Canadians. Uh, puck line currently minus one and a half for the Canadians. Uh, a couple of things here. Connor Bedard, uh, for those that like the shot prop, uh, has five and six in his first two games. Uh, and for the game itself, yeah. Chicago is seven and one in their last eight meetings in Montreal. The underdog is seven and three in their last 10 overall. And the under is nine, one and one in the last 11 matchups between these two clubs. Our Con- is Connor Bedard, the easiest shot prop bet to make. It feels Knowing like that all this guy is going to want to do, and Luke Richardson just wants him to do it too, is just release the puck. Every chance he gets, fire that thing. Go under the triangle, fire it from all angles. It doesn't matter. He doesn't need to set up the perfect shot. Just fire it from everywhere, Matty. Is yeah. that the? I mean, you're, you're, you, I mean, you know this intimately. Is that the easiest? That the easiest bet to make these days? It does feel like it because the last two games it was two and a half. So he's by far and away beat that. I, I'd imagine it's going to bump up to three and a half, maybe four and a half. And even at <laughs> those take. two numbers, I'd still take it. Yeah. Well, teams are already game planning for him, right? And, you know, the one, and I was making this point on the 32 pod, um, what I like is how superstars are going at him. Now, we've only seen two games, but in game number one, it was Crosby at the dot, was just like going to gobble him up all game long. Not just the opening draw where he snapped it to Ryan Graves. That's probably the hardest pass Ryan Graves has received uh, in a couple of years, and it was off a faceoff. Um, but he ate him up at the faceoff circle a ton that game. That was Crosby saying, you know, welcome to the NHL. Don't forget who the big dogs are here. And then in the game against the Boston Bruins, it's Brad Marchand, the captain, uh, in his own right, going at Connor Bedard and reminding him who the big dogs are in the NHL. I am curious to see, you know, what we've seen out of Martin St. Louis as head coach of the Montreal Canadiens is he's a really smart game planner and how they game plan for someone like Connor Bedard. The other thing is, this is Connor Bedard's first trip to Canada. And the ESPN treatment stateside was huge, and it should be. We'll see the treatment in Montreal Saturday and then early next week in Toronto as Bedard Mania makes its way north of the border. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. 
Andrew Raycroft still to come on all things Boston. Ian Mendez on Daniel Alfredson back with the Sens. The show returns here in a couple of moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Jeff Merrick's Random Hockey Fact of the Day. Yeah, every day we'll do this. So the other day, Kyle Connor of the Winnipeg Jets tied the NHL record for the longest goal streak in season opening games. So Kyle Connor's at six, but that's not the random hockey fact of the day. He joins... Cam Atkinson, who did so, Columbus Blue Jackets, from the 14-15 season to 1920. Yvonne of the Montreal Canadiens, from 73-74 to 78-79. And Mud Brunito of the Detroit Red Rings from 1940-41, that season, to 45-46. That's not even your random fact of the day. The random fact of the day is, how do you get the name Mud? Mud Brunito. Now, we know back in the olden days in the Hockey Wayback Machine, the nicknames were just so much better. The best one being probably George Vesna, the Shkutami Cucumber. But how did Mud get his nickname, Mud? Because I assure you, that wasn't his given name. His given name was Moder from St. Boniface, Manitoba. And one of his teachers, someone by the name of Brother Vincent Brand, couldn't pronounce his first name properly, so he gave him the nickname Mud. And it stuck all the way through school and all the way through hockey. That's how Mud became Mud. Now, when we think Mud Brunito, we think of one thing very specifically. Well, outside of the nickname. We think of 1936 and the longest overtime in NHL history. The most OTs ever was the Montreal Forum. His Detroit Red Wings facing off against the the, um, uh, the Montreal Maroons. Sixth overtime, 116.30 of OT. He puts one past Lauren Shabbat of the Maroons at 2.25 a.m. Now, one of the interesting stories about that one is he lodged it in the back of the net. It was a high shot, back of the net, and it lodged between the back bar and the mesh, the puck never dropped. Lauren Shabbat grabbed the puck and someone wired in an, uh, an offer for the puck of $50. Now, $50 in 1936 was an awful lot of money. Shabbat turned it down, went down the hallway to Jack Adams, coach manager of the Detroit Red Wings, and said, here, give this one to Mud. It's his puck. He scored the goal. Now, as Brunito, the Montreal Forum that day, exited the ice surface as well, fans stuffed dollar bills in his equipment as his way, as their way of saying thank you, A, for ending the game, I would imagine, and as a way to congratulate him as well. He got so much money going back to the dressing room. Remember, this is 1936. He got so much money stuffed in his equipment that he was able to give each player on the Detroit Red Wings and the trainer... $22 each. 
That's how many dollar bills were stuffed in MUDS equipment. Also in that game, Bucko McDonald. There's another great nickname. Bucko McDonald was offered $5 a hit by a fan. Bucko recorded 26 hits that game. Remember when everybody in Manitoba, as they were trying to get Barry Trotz to coach the team, offered Barry Trotz, like, cars for life, food for life, beer for life, everything for life? I guess that might be the modern equivalent, or that might be one way to get around the salary cap. Just get a rich guy to top you up. Anyway, that is the random fact of the day. Quick little story about Mud Brunito starting with how he got his nickname. You know what's a cool nickname as well? Razor. Andrew Raycroft joins me now, Boston Bruins analyst. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. How'd you get the nickname Razor? Uh, anybody with the name Ray or Ray Croft or Ray in it uh, ends up being Razor, whether it's Ray Whitney, Ray Emery, or Andrew Raycroft. So yeah. not a lot of creativity, but it didn't really settle in until I did get to junior. So it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't from the age of eight anyways. Right. So it's the same along the same lines of anyone whose last name is Campbell, whether it's uh, Brian or Cassie, your nickname is going to be Super Soupy. Same idea? Correct. Yes. Not, not too creative, these hockey guys. <laughs> well, once upon a time, they used to have some great nicknames uh, back like the the old the old school guys, like the really old school guys from like the twenties and thirties. Those were some dynamic nicknames. Now it's you just add an ey to the end of it, Jonesy, and all of a sudden you have your nickname. But I digress. Um, the Boston Bruins without Bergeron, the Boston Bruins without David Krejci. To me, this seems this seems like a recipe made in heaven for players like. Brad Marchand, who love sticking it to people who say, you can't do this, and your team can't do this. Uh, how's life without the big two right-hand shots down the middle so far? I certainly get the sense that that's the, the team mantra, the team motto this year, and, and there is a bit of a chip on the shoulder for, for not just the fact that the top two centers are, are no longer with them, but, but also the way the season ended last season and, and the, that playoff run and losing in Game 7. So there's certainly an all-business type feel here over the first month of the se- or the first week of the season, and uh, I think they look forward to proving people wrong. Uh, I think Brad Marchand certainly does. And, you know, I was making the point uh, before the top of the hour break, and we're talking about Connor Bedard, Matt Marchese, and I. And I was making the point that in their own very distinctive ways, you know, two superstar players in the NHL went hard at Bedard in his first two games. Crosby uh, at the faceoff dot all game long, all three periods, just gobbled the kid up. And then we saw Brad Marchand literally in Brad Marchand fashion, dragging Connor Bedard onto the Boston Bruins bench as a sort of reminder of who the big dogs are around the NHL. I, I got to tell you, I don't know who runs the Boston Bruins Twitter feed, but that person deserves two things. One, a raise, and two, a corner office. The social media around the captaincy of Brad Marchand <laughs> was brilliant uh, as, as, as soon as it happened, and it just flat out continues. And I love seeing the C on, on Brad Marchand. Now, you've... Now, you've been around Boston a long time, and you've seen the the growth and, and development of Brad Marchand. I can remember 
thinking, I, I remember thinking to myself, this guy is going to be a really good, effective, pesky, get your nose in everything type player. I never thought that when he started in the NHL that we would ever see the C on Brad Marchand. At what point did all of that start to change for him? Well, I, I don't think there was a, a eureka moment. I, I think he he grew into it just like his game. Um, and, and and like you say, Jeff, he was a uh, he was, he had to grind and struggle for every second and minute he got. And when the lights got brighter in, in that game seven in Vancouver, uh, he shone the brightest. Yeah. And that 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 is really kind of his career has taken that on that metaphor on as well. And He's just continued to grow. I think being around Patrice Bergeron for a decade has certainly helped. I think getting in trouble the way he did, I think the, you know, the, the few incidences that were really kind of ugly from his point of view, I think that made him grow more than anything. Yeah. I think uh, the conversations after the season of you know, this just can't happen anymore, I think he took it to heart and he – you know, again, he's he he just plays on the line. That's what he does. That's that's his emotion. That's his brain. That's how he works. Um, but I he he does have it in him, and and has had remorse for what he's done, and and he's taken it to heart. So all of those things combined make him, I, I think, a great captain, and especially coming off Patrice, who is a little more measured in his actions, in his words. Brad is a perfect uh, yin and yang to that, and I think he'll have everyone's attention, and I know he has everyone's respect in that room and in the organization. Yeah. You know, I've I've kind of, because um, we all look for comparables, and you measure off someone like Patrice Bergeron, both on and off the ice, and how they carry themselves. And, like, honestly, Andrew, I, I think that what we just saw with Patrice Bergeron in the NHL, and I know it's a, a, a heated and hated rival, but I've tried to make the point to people, even though they were different players and Jean was such a, a, a big force uh, in the game, I just look at the way that Bergeron carried himself and how he played and how he related to people and the relationships he had and how he spoke. I wonder if we just saw this generation's version of Jean Beliveau in the NHL. Agree or disagree? Agree a million percent. I think the further we get away from it, Patrice is going to take more and more of that on, that gentleman, that class act. Um, I was lucky the last three days to spend a lot of time with him um, with the Centennial. And... just every story he tells or or every thank you he gives and and every appreciation he gives, you just recognize, and, you know, with my kids around and and my wife, you know, talking about stories from 18 years ago when he could barely speak English. And it it just, it, it, it it resonates every single time. And and for me, the last couple of days, just spending more time off the ice, it it just, I, I couldn't agree more just in how, well-respected he is by everyone. And when he walks into a room, he takes time for every single person and makes sure that they feel good when they walk away from him. 
You know, it's um, Anthony Stewart told me a, a really funny story about uh, the World Juniors um, that Patrice Bergeron was was such a big part of for Canada. He said, you know, we were all around, you know, before one of our first practices, all playing sewer ball, and you know, we're all, you know, got like sloppy, you know, over, you know, uh, dry fits that don't fit, and we all look like we should be playing in in Pearl Jam or something like that. We're like a, a motley crew. And in walks Bergeron, and he's like, the athletic clothing fits perfectly. He's got his foam roller with him. And he said someone, it might have been Brent Burns, said like, oh, who's the Ken doll here? And it's like everything that Bergeron did, um, how he managed himself before the game, his activation, what he did on the ice afterwards, all the interactions, said it was as close to perfect as we've ever seen. Like he, he's been like this forever. I know we're spending a lot of time talking about Bergeron here and the season's underway, but one final thought on Patrice Bergeron, because you're a lot closer to it than uh, than, than we are and a lot closer to him. It just seemed like, again, we talk about, you know, Nick Lidstrom being as close to the perfect defenseman that we've seen in, in decades, and I think we could say the same thing about Patrice Bergeron. Yes, and he was like that at 18. I was his roommate, and I was four years in pro at that point, and you know, halfway through the season, I'm looking, you know, this kid is, he's a much better pro than I was already. He just soaked everything in. And, <laughs> and again, just to, I, I hate to reminisce too and go on it, but it, you know, the funny thing is, is he comes up to me at a golf tournament. Last, thanks for, thanks for taking care of me when I was 18. I can't believe I was such a knucklehead back then. And, and, I, and I, I'm thinking like Patrice, I was looking up to you at that point. You realize that like you, you were doing everything perfect at that point already, as soon as you came in and, I think that humbleness and, and that that feeling of always trying to be better is is what has carried him. And and, and again, he's gonna he's gonna stroll backwards into the hockey hall of fame. Let me ask you a goaltending question here: How much do goalies not want to be part of history when it comes to surrendering a goal? And I think of you know Pete Peters once upon a time back in '84. Um, surrendering Mario Lemieux's first goal in the NHL after you know he stripped Ray Bork as a Hall of Fame defenseman, not bad debut uh, for Mario Lemieux. But forever, when we see that goal, we're going to see P. Peters, and now whenever we see Connor Bedard's first goal, the wraparound, we're going to see Linus Ulmark. Does that matter to goaltenders? Does that burn? It burns a little, yeah. It, it, and but on the other side of it, you're you know you can at least tell your kids. You, you really want Connor Bedard to be Mario Lemieux. And you can say, you know, at some point, at the time it burns when you're in the league, but I think now that I'm an old guy and yeah. can look back, I'd be like, because I was there. Sidney Crosby scored his first goal in the Bruins too. It was, uh, we beat them 6-5 in the old igloo in overtime, but Sid scored on Hanu Toivin in that night. And I was sitting down beside him like, ah, oh, at least he didn't score on me his first goal. But now... I'm old, I'm less competitive, and I'd be like, I, I, I would have been okay having Sid score his first goal on me. So I think it's like the competitive juices go and you don't want it to happen, but now I'm like, ah, I wish someone good had a score yeah. on me. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, listen, like Mario scored on a Vesna Trophy winner, and uh, so did uh, so did Connor Bedard uh, on Wednesday night in that game. What did you make of the uh, the Bedard phenomenon? We're asking everybody here. I mean, he's such a, a force in, in two games that he's uh, that he's played. His team is one and one. He's got a goal. He's got an assist. He's got highlights. He's you know ripping shots, and now he's making his way uh, to Canada this weekend, where I'm sure the response will be very tame and not over the top at all. He's playing in Montreal mm-hmm. on Saturday, and then Toronto on Monday. What did you make of uh, of your first NHL viewing of Connor Bedard? 
Well, he gets it. His, his hockey sense and his ability to find ice. And that the wraparound goal itself, you know, he, he, he comes out of a pile and, and can use that little burst of energy, that little bit of inside edge to get around the net that most guys can't do already. So he, his game is just going to continue to grow as he gets that le- used to that level just in where everybody's supposed to be on the ice. Because, again, you can see his vision, his ability to carry pucks in the neutral zone. And it, his shot goes without saying, I think, at this point. Um, you know, but yeah. and you also talked about, though, as he's getting Crosby, he's getting Martin. Like, he's going to get everybody's best. And that, it, over the season, yeah. will take a bit of a toll, I think, over certain periods. But from watching him play 17, 18, 19 minutes one time in the National Hockey League, my gut instinct tells me that he is going to figure out all of those scenarios and he's going to figure out how to get out of a, a two-game slump so to speak, and, and mm-hmm. find different ways to be pro, um, very proactive for his group. How much do you think, because right now we're looking down the middle and it's Zaka and it's Coyle and it's Matthew Poitra of the, of the, of the Guelph Storm, the OHL, and John Beecher from the University of Michigan uh, makes the team as well. How much do you think this team is going to continue to knock on doors and make phone calls to try to find another center? Well, I, the, the, the good news is, is that they've caught a big break coming out of camp with these two young guys playing the way they did. Um, I think if yeah. you had two older guys there, you'd, you'd probably say differently, but Matthew Potra right now is buying Don Sweeney time, and, and that calling card isn't quite as expensive. To, to the organization and same with John Beecher, just because of the job they've been able to do. So I think, I think the way the league is and, and just not being able to make deals still, but once that starts to free up, you, you have to suspect the team will continue to kick tires on, on free agent centermen, but they're also gaining a lot of valuable time watching these young guys. And if they can continue to develop Matthew Potro made a great play on his first assist the other night as well. Mm. And he won some face-offs. John Beecher got into a fight in his first NHL game. He was very, very good on the forecheck. So it's buying them a little bit of time. I, I'm not going to say that the, you know, that this team isn't, you know, perfect, but it is buying time for for Don to just kind of let this simmer and see see what they actually have from young guys. Uh, last one for you, Razor. Before I let you go. Um... The Atlantic Division right now, um, the Maple Leafs are healthy. Florida is not. Tampa is not. Uh, Boston's just lost their their top two centers. Where do they fit in? And there's teams like Buffalo and Detroit and Ottawa that are nipping at heels trying to get into the playoff picture here. Where do you see Boston fitting into this equation? Like last season was just a freak, and this team was an absolute juggernaut and smashing records, and the 70s Habs are in the rearview mirror, etc. How do they figure in this season, in your estimation, in a really competitive and tightly packed Atlantic? So my prediction's kind of been in the way I've looked at it. I, I think Toronto kind of runs away with it, whatever that means in the Atlanta. I think they're the, the favorite. They're just going to score so many goals this season with, with that group. And I see, I see Boston competing for the, the, the second home ice spot, that second place in the division, third spot. I, what I do think is it's going to be very tight all the way to the end. The, the, with the Detroit, the Ottawa's, the Buffaloes, we're assuming 
at least two of those teams are going to get more points than they did last season. That's just going to compress the division. So I see the division compressing a lot, but I also see Boston in that second, third spot. I I think we're going to see a lot of, like, very similar to what we saw the other night. David Pasternak gets two goals. They give up 21 shots. Their goaltenders make the timely saves, and they come out with victories. And, And I just see them grinding away. I don't think it's obviously they can lose 15 more games and still have 105 points from last season. So I do think they can find a way to get through there and, and compete. That that sounds wild. We can give away 30 points and still have 100. Like it it sounds yeah. wild, Andrew. Like oh yeah, we can we can no, we can we can scotch 30 points. We still, we still got a century. <laughs> you you essentially like you could almost lose three games a month more and still. Yeah. Still, hand, still getting the playoffs, um, and I think with the D and the goalies they have, I think that'll you know that they can they can do better than that. Wouldn't be surprised, and especially with Brad Marchand playing with a chip on his shoulder as he always does. Um, Andrew Raycroft, always good catching up, pal. Uh, enjoy, we'll check back regularly. Uh, enjoy the uh, the game against Nashville on Saturday, and we'll check back soon, pal. You be good. Awesome. You too. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, Andrew Raycroft, uh, analyst for the Boston Bruins, uh, Boston next in action against the Nashville Predators on Saturday on a packed Saturday night as we bring in Matt Marchese here. Our, uh, what do we call Are we calling you senior producer? Are we calling you supervising producer? What's your title this year, Matt? I, I don't know. I, I would say executive, but they don't give me that kind of power. Um, great Senior might be good because well, I've actually, been around long enough and have the gray hair. So. Uh, Actually, we uh, we can't give you a raise, but we can give you a title. Yay! We can give you a different business card. That's the uh, that's the, the 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 mantra around around media everywhere. That's not exclusive uh, to us. Um, you have a thought on? We're asking a lot about Bedard, and he's you know heading to to Canada this weekend for Montreal Toronto game Saturday and Monday. Uh, I want to get to a couple of clips here and get your thoughts on them. But you have a a thought on the Bedard phenomenon? We talked about it just before the top of the hour break. But your thoughts on that guy in Chicago that's so much fun to watch already the funniest part about Bedard is his first goal is a wraparound like to me that is not how I envision Connor Bedard's first goal to be scored because a nobody scores on wraparounds anymore and b Connor Bedard has already one of the best shots in the NHL you'd figure he'd you know rip one from the from the offside top corner short side you know yeah. and, and and that would be like oh ho-hum whatever when I saw it was a wraparound I was like really a wraparound but no he's the thing that I'm most interested is in is how does he go through the whole season and a stay healthy because he's not a big guy and there's an adjustment here. Like there's an adjustment anyway with rookies who are coming in and they're playing with guys bigger, faster, stronger, all of that. But there are guys that come in that are rookies. Like let's say like a, a Yuri Slavkovsky, who's a big dude coming into the NHL. That transition isn't as difficult, but for Connor Bedard, that's going to be a little bit tougher. He's certainly not afraid to go into the areas that a lot of other guys maybe don't like to go into. But I'm curious to see over the course of 82, what adjustments he makes with that and and adjusting to the physicality of the NHL as opposed to what he dealt with in the Western Hockey League. You, you know, it's an interesting question too, and it's an interesting point because I think that the one thing that Bedard has as a first overall pick that Slavkovsky, as we saw in the first season, didn't have, and he can certainly develop this, is 
spatial awareness and an sure. awareness of everything that's around him. You know, we talk about injuries all the time, and sometimes injuries, we say, oh, it's just a mile. This guy's unlucky, and he's always getting hurt. Uh, and I've always wondered, well, if you're always getting hurt, you know, maybe the problem is you. Like, what are you doing? How aware are you of every? Because there are just some players that elude the big injury, right? You know, like Alexander Ovechkin has eluded the big injury in his career. One, he's big, strong guy himself. But two, I think the one thing that we don't give Ovechkin enough credit for is his awareness of everything that is around him and everything that is approaching him and his ability to get out of the way uh, of large things approaching him. And don't you kind of see Connor Bedard as being that kind of player too? Like he's he's aware of, of, of everything around him. Like he knows what's happening on the ice at all times. Wayne Gretzky was the master of this. I remember Marty McSorley when when Marty worked with us at Sportsnet, we were out uh, after one of our shows having dinner, and we were talking about Gretzky, and he said, you know, one of the most rare pictures you will see of Wayne Gretzky is a picture of Wayne Gretzky skating along the boards on the bench side. And I said, really? He said, yeah. Wayne never liked skating along the boards by the benches. And I said, why is that? And he said, because he wants to be able to see who's going off and who's coming on. He wanted to know what was happening on, like everywhere around the ice. Like that's the type of vision and awareness someone like Wayne Gretzky has. Like I'm not going to skate anywhere near the benches because I want to see who's coming on and who's going off. And I kind of think that Bedard, just again, just watching him in junior and watching him internationally and watching him in a couple of games in the NHL. Maddie, do you not get the sense that Bedard sort of has that that inner thing as well in his head that I'm – I need to be hyper aware of everything around me. I mean, the knock on Slavkovsky was, and we kept saying this and reminding you know everybody, like the NHL is not a developmental league, right? This is not where you, there would have been no problem sending him to Laval last season. Don't develop at the NHL level, graduate to the NHL level. And we saw Slavkovsky get clobbered so many times last year. I don't know that that happens in Bedard be, just because of how aware he is of his place on the ice around large bodies at all times. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has to be aware. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the Gretzky thing because the other thing that I'd heard about Gretzky um, among the so many stories about how smart he was was when he was on a breakaway, he used to look into the glass behind the net to see which side the defenseman or whoever was chasing him was coming on or which angle they were taking so that he could better protect the puck. Like, those are things that you just next, don't... Yeah, next, next level. level right? You don't think of that stuff. So that's why Bedard is so interesting because he is very... We can talk about the skill level. We can talk about all those things. But he's cerebral, too. Like, even that backhand saucer pass he made in the preseason where... And I, I, it, it escapes me who missed the one-timer. Like, that's ridiculous. He's not even looking to where the guy is. But he knows <laughs> where he is on the ice. Like, that... And there's a lot of guys in the NHL that can yeah. do that. But to be successful consistently... Uh, at his size, and I, I think we're going to talk about Jack Hughes at some point. Um, I think you have to yeah, be now. that smart. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you have to be that smart in order to have a long career when you are, are of a certain stature. Yeah, let, let, let's get to Jack Hughes here. I know we're we're jumping clips, Lance. We're going to go to clip four here. This is uh, Jack Hughes. Um, post game. This is after the Devils knocked off the Red Wings last night, and his first goal was, you know, the the shot from behind the red line or behind the goal line rather, and banked it off Huso's head in the net. Um, and he's not just blindly throwing that at the net. No, no, no. That is deliberate. How do we know? Because Jack Hughes said it was deliberate. Here's Hughes post game, Maddie. 
on that first goal. Did you aim for the for his back there to try and ricochet it off? Yeah, you guys have seen me score those goals my whole career. So uh, I think goalies have a pretty good read on me that I like to shoot <laughs> from those spots. But yeah, that was just uh, where I wanted to put it, and you know, I uh, think it went right where I wanted to go. That penalty was it just a matter of frustration? He's one of my favorite players. Maybe my favorite player right now, Jack Hughes, Maddie. I just love the confidence. Uh, he's a go-to interview uh, at any time. He's a thoughtful guy. He's an elite-level player. Um, he Did you hear them chanting MVP oh, yesterday? Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the game? So th- you know what I thought of, Maddie, right away? Uh, you'll recall this. When, when, uh, when Zach Parisi started with the New Jersey Devils, the chant was, whenever Pittsburgh uh, was in New Jersey, the chant was overrated uh, every time Crosby was on the ice. And the other chant was Parisi's better. Parisi's better. And then Crosby would be out, overrated. It was hilarious. And hearing them chant MVP at Jack Hughes yesterday was a thing of glory. Your thoughts on Jack Hughes? Yeah, firstly, I mean... I, I, I've said this story before. I watched him the day that they had the draft lottery at the CBC building. I was there, and I looked at him and went, this guy's not going to last in the NHL. He's too small. Uh, yeah, no, I was wrong. Um, he's incredible. The goal he scored, la- both goals were exceptional. I mean, the one behind the, the goal line is ridiculous. I think my favorite That's- part about Jack Hughes in that clip is that there's not even there's no arrogance about it. Like he's just he's just talking. Like this is yeah, you yeah, I do that. This these guys know that I do that and I'm going to continue to do it. Like he yeah. does, he is he's a very kind of grounded guy. And even I you know I I heard the interview you guys did with him, uh the preseason interview at the players tour and he's just you know what he is, Jeff? He's just a dude. And I love that. And I I think that's super important because there's so many guys that are so uh they're so protective of the things that they say and do. And he's just, he kind of leaves it all out there and he's very honest. And I love watching him play. I mean, he's not only is he a great scorer, but uh, he's a great passer too. He's just so, so skilled and he's going to be in the MVP yeah. conversation this year, I believe. Totally. hundred percent. And, you know, fingers crossed because it means a lot to him. And I still can't believe that there hasn't been a player in New Jersey who's reached the century mark, but like he makes no bones about it. He wants to get a hundred points this year. Um, that is a, a an individual target for um, for Jack Hughes. You know, just talking to Andrew Raycroft a second ago and spent more time talking about Patrice Bergeron. Um, you know, during that 2011 season, um, if you look at shot share and use that as a sort of proxy to the, to determine you know quality of a of a player, when Zdeno Chara and Patrice Bergeron were on the ice together, it tilted the rink like nobody else touched the puck. When those two guys were on the ice together for the Boston Bruins, specifically, I think it was the 2011 season, um, nobody else touched the puck. It was like, did you just own the shot share? And again, it's only one game, but every time Jack and Luke Hughes were on the ice together last night, they dominated shot share. Again, it's only one game. And I'm not going to say that Jack Hughes and Luke Hughes are going to turn themselves into this year's version of uh, the 2011 Patrice Bergeron Zidane Chara conversation, but it was pretty. And I guess it was only the Red Wings. I get it, but still, like that was a really impressive debut, not just for Jack Hughes, but for Luke Hughes as well. And that's a wild card for New Jersey, sure. because if you have some special right out of the gates with Luke Hughes as well. 
holy smokes. Yeah. Those parents are going to be flying back and forth between <laughs> Vancouver and New Jersey to see their sons. See, there's that's going to be some expensive plane tickets all season long for the Hughes family, Maddie. I, I hope that the kids are helping pick up the tab for that one because one of them, actually two of them, <laughs> two of them are paid very handsomely. Uh, just two qu- of them. Just yeah. quickly on, on Luke Hughes there. The, the interesting thing for me is, is that he was thrown right into the fire. Like, he didn't have the adjustment of non-high-pressure games coming into the NHL. This has got to be a breeze for him. This is like, oh, my goodness, the regular season? This is easy compared yeah. to the playoffs. So he's already kind of battle-tested and kind of baptism by fire. And I, I think that coming into the regular season now, this has got to feel like a totally different world in a, in a good way for him where he can actually make real adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, and tonight we'll see the New Jersey Devils once again back in action against the Arizona Coyotes. Your chance to see Logan Cooley. Uh, and also, it is Crosby versus Ovechkin. It is Washington. It is Pittsburgh again. Um, we're going to hit a break. We're going to come back with Ian Mendez because Daniel Alfredson is back in the uh, in the nation's capital in Ottawa. What does that mean? How did we get here? What is the title going to be? And at what point do they decide when to give... Daniel Alfredson said title. I've made the point and I'll continue to knowing Alfredson, the little that I do know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's going to wait till everything settles and everyone settles into their positions with the new ownership before he gets or wants or looks for the new business card. We'll see what Mendez says in a second. Ian Mendez covering the Ottawa Senators with Daniel Alfredson now uh, for the athletic joins me on the Merrick show across the Sportsnet radio network in a moment. Keep it here. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He's back. Daniel Alfredson returns to the nation's capital. The Ottawa Senators and their fans rejoicing as Alfie hit the ice at the morning skate here with uh, comment and analysis and maybe a crystal ball for what's next with the for the Sens and Daniel Alfredson is Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Ian, how are you today, pal? Hey, Jeff. Doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Is it all smiles in Ottawa right now? Alfie's back. We don't know what the business card is going to say, but nonetheless, he's back. He's on the ice. He's helping the young players. Everything's There's joy in Mudville. Everybody's happy in sunshine and lollipops, despite the fact that there's a salary cap situation. And, you know, we all know who's not on the team right now, and they're coming off a loss. Is everyone happy right now because Alfie's back, Ian? I'll tell you what, if you wanted a PR win on a day when, like you said, you could have easily focused on uh, this. It's like, hey, look at this shiny thing over here. And it's uh, Daniel Alfredson. But it is, you know, Jeff, Daniel Alfredson had not one, but two awkward, messy departures, divorces, whatever you want to call it, from this organization. So for him to come back now a third time, and, you know, what do you want to say, third time's a charm or whatever, uh, there is absolutely a feeling of relief and, and, and joy in uh, what do you call it? Yeah, it's like Mudville, right? Like the old, uh, the old baseball, uh, Casey at the bat. And um, there's just that feeling here of, okay, everything all is right in the world again, because the face of the franchise, yep. the goat is back where he uh, kind of rightfully belongs. Now, um, 
the thing that I've wondered about here is, I think we're all wondering, you know, what the official title is going to be. Steve Steele is saying we're going to work through, you know, whatever ends up being his title. We're going to figure out what that position is going to be here. You know, and listen, you're there, and you know Alfredson a lot better than I do, but just in the the interactions that I've had with him and sort of watching how he maneuvers and knowing how he thinks a little bit, I think, Ian, it wouldn't surprise me if, and this is how I've sort of couched it, it wouldn't surprise me, Ian, if Alfredson wants to wait to see how everything settles with this new ownership before he decides on what his title or role with the team is going to be. I mean, this is still a new owner. Uh, there's questions about various people at various levels in the organization. I don't know that it would surprise it. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if Alfredson is sort of taking a wait and see approach to see where everybody ultimately lands before deciding on what his role is going to be. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I agree completely. I think from, you know, even from, your kind of 30,000 foot view from where you are, uh, I think you got a pretty accurate read on it. Where, uh, where I think uh, there is, there's some degree of fluidity here in Ottawa with a new ownership. You don't know where it's going to go. So why paint yourself into a, in, into a specific position or a role? Uh, right. You know, the, the way Steve Stales explained it to us uh, this morning, Jeff, is he basically said it's like a hybrid between coaching and player development. And, you know, what I thought was interesting is Steve Stale said, look, I've met with Alfredson and his eyes kind of lit up when I suggested to him, would you be open to coming and working with our players on the ice? So I think that ultimately seems to be what's his passion. And, and I've had some good conversations with him. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think he wants to go the, I don't, at this point, I don't think he wants to go like the Marty St. Louis role. I think Alfredson knows like to do that. That right. means you got to get into the office at, you know, you're, you're the guy putting the coffee on at 4:45 or five in the morning and, uh, you're you're there till midnight, and it's I, I don't know that that part appeals to him, but but working with the players appeals to him. Uh, being a sounding board appeals to him. Hmm. Helping out with tactics and strategy, and I think if you talk to you know Paul McLean or Dave Cameron or uh, you know anybody that Alfredson had as a coach, they would probably tell you pretty quickly. Yeah, that guy was never afraid to share his opinion on strategy and tactics, and I think he always kind of had a little yeah. bit of the coaches brain so to speak as a player and i think you'll see that kind of come out here in this uh, in this role do you think this was inevitable that one day regardless of which ownership group ultimately um won the bidding process and became the new owners whether it was you know and and lauer or you know snoop dogg like whoever's group that there was going to be a role for daniel alfredson no matter who the owner was in ottawa yeah, I do. I do firmly believe that. And I think that's a big reason why, Jeff, if you go back to the entire sale process and at the time when there was four, five, six kind of potential serious bidders, like Daniel Albertson never aligned himself with one of them, right? Like he was always like, I'll wait to see who wins and then I'll sort of reach out. And I think he knew he was kind of dealing from a position of power and strength. Like which, what owner was going to come in and say, well, I don't need the, the greatest franchise icon ever uh, to, to, to help yeah. me out here. It's, it's an easy PR win. And yeah, I do think he was just sitting back and he kind of said it with a chuckle today too. Uh, when we spoke to Alfredson, like he kind of talked about, you know, the sale process kind of dragged out and, and he kind of said it with a little bit of a chuckle that, it, you know, kind of took time for everything to settle. And I think it was probably tough for him because I think if you went back a year ago when this team was first put on the market in early November, I think he probably thought, well, by the summer of 2023, I'll, I'll know who the owner is. I'll have a role. And it really took him until, you know, yeah. the, uh, the middle of October. 
Um, how's it been? I mean, I, I know it's only the, the, the one game against the Carolina Hurricanes, um, but how's it been with this new ownership group and Steve Steos coming in, which was, by the way, um, I think the only other worst-kept secret maybe in the history of the NHL was Brian Burke leaving Anaheim for Toronto, but Steve Steos going to Ottawa was maybe, in this generation, the worst-kept secret in hockey. How's it been, Ian? Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think that's the the I think that's the way you and Elliot phrased it too on Thirty Two Thoughts a couple of weeks ago, right? Like when this happened, it was like it's the worst kept secret in uh, in hockey. Like we all knew, and they, even Michael Andlauer said in his in his uh, Steve Stales press conference when he introduced him said, "Hey, yeah. I told the Edmonton Oilers when I let him go from Hamilton, if I ever get a team, I'm coming after Steve Stales." So it, it we all connected yeah. those dots a long time ago. Um, it's it's been interesting, right? Because I think. Um, we're not sure how this is all going to play out and, and how does it, like, I'm sure if you're Pierre Dorian and DJ Smith, you're feeling like you're under the microscope and, and, but that's normal. That's how anybody would feel. That's how you and I feel like, you know, we've all gone through changes in, 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 in bosses and regimes and media companies we work for. And as soon as there's a change, you feel like, uh Oh, I need to prove myself and I need to show my worth. And I don't think that's, that's any different for Dorian and, and DJ Smith. Mm-hmm. But I think ironically, I wonder, like, if you had to ask me who's there more heat on right now, I, I, there's an argument to be made. It might be a little bit more that the temperature turned up on the general manager, just given the situation with, mm-hmm. with Shane Pinto that, that's played out here. Yeah, how is that being received right now? I know they could, I know that there's you know, the online discussion. I'm always, I, I don't want to be too quick to pounce on it because that is, you know, not everybody is on you know Twitter, for example. Um, but I mean, the the conversation around Shane Pinto and and Pierre Dorian is is pretty intense. Um, and oh, you know what? Just, just as an aside here, I, I want to say something. I want to get your thoughts on this one. I know that Matthew Joseph's name has been out there as, okay, they're going to remedy the situation. They're going to move Matthew Joseph and free up cap space, and, and that's going to be it, and Pinto's going uh, to rejoin the Ottawa Senators. Uh, and that hasn't happened, um, but Matthew Joseph has very much heard his name out there. And he's playing hard, man, and he's had, he had a really good preseason um, I really got to. I really got to hand it to Matthew Joseph. It, it's got to be tough. I know everyone's a pro athlete, and this is part of the deal when you sign up to to be a professional athlete. But it's got to be tough hearing your name every single day as being, you know, one of the pieces or maybe the key piece going out of Ottawa to make room for Shane Pinto. And he's played hard through all of it. Ian, do you have a thought on that one? Yeah, and same with Eric Brandstrom, too, another guy whose name was kind of just tossed in yes. there of, hey, we need to jettison some salary. These are your two candidates. You know, on opening night, and, and it'll depend. People will say, well, maybe they were showcasing Joseph. He had 29 shifts, Jeff. That, that's the most shifts of any forward yeah. on the Senators team. And, and he scored a goal, and he had an assist, and he had six minutes of PK time. And the interesting thing I found, and I, and I wrote about this today, is, okay, people talk about, okay, you want to get rid of Matthew Joseph, fine. Jeff, there's only seven teams in the league that today could just absorb uh, uh, the $2.95 million cap without doing anything else. And that's Columbus, Detroit, Arizona, Nashville, Anaheim, uh, and I think Buffalo, Chicago. That's it. Like, it's not like there's this robust market of 18 teams that could take them on. Like, like this is, like, this, Pierre Dorian has put himself, twisted himself into a pretzel here. And I don't know how this plays itself out. And by the way, Josh Norris skated today. He didn't take normal line rushes when we were watching him. So I would say, Jeff, he doesn't play 
tomorrow mm-hmm. against Philly, and I'd say it's awfully iffy if he even would play Sunday against Tampa. So you're likely going to play the first three games of the year without Pinto and Norris, and a lot of people are pointing the finger at the general manager. I, I, I get it. Um, I don't, and I, I understand this is a, this is a crucial year because listen, Tampa isn't healthy. Florida isn't healthy. Boston just lost their top two centers. One of whom is going to the hockey hall of fame. And it's like, okay, so there's an opportunity here for another team to jump up and grab one of these playoff spots. You know, Buffalo, despite the setback last night against the Rangers is going to be one of those teams. Uh, Detroit, despite the setback against New Jersey last night is going to be one of those teams. And Ottawa is as well. And you're in no position to squander points. So I understand that. But having said that, I'd be so scared to rush Josh Norris at this point. Yeah. Just knowing how long you have him wrapped up with the future. You know what I'm saying, Ian? Like, I understand the temptation. I get it because no one thought we're going to head into this season and Ridley Gregg, bless him, was going to be your number two center behind Tim Stutzela. But. I, I would be really hesitant to rush this guy back into the lineup because you don't want to squander points early. I'd, I'd still look at the long game with this guy. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I know, I think that they debated, do we put this guy on LTIR and, and put him out for 10 games? But to this point, they yeah. haven't uh, because they felt like he's close. I'm with you. And any time you start training camp and a guy starts in a, in a non-contact jersey, for me, that's, that's always a red flag of, yeah. okay, like, let, let's be super patient. Like, what's the point of rushing him back? And again, Jeff, if Shane Pinto is here, it really alleviates some of the stress around, okay, Norris isn't there. That's okay. Shane Pinto's here. He can absorb the number two center role for the short term, and then he'll slot, slot back in the three spot. When you don't have both of them, that's where it becomes an issue. And that's where I think uh, the situation becomes a little bit magnified in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you quickly on uh, Vlad Tarasenko. Um, I know it's just the, the, the one-game audit for all these players, really. Um, but I was texting with someone this morning who said, you know what, he can get away playing that game when he's, and this is going to sound like a, a knock on St. Louis, but here we go, when he's hiding in St. Louis, but you can't play that kind of game in Canada. People will be all over you. I know it's just a one-game audit, 13 minutes of ice time. Quick thought on Vlad Tarasenko. Yeah, he, he really was not noticeable. And and look, it's one game, right? So let's just, just take a big, deep breath yeah. and, and just give it some time. But I thought it was interesting already going into the game tomorrow. Now he's already switched lines, switched line mates. So uh, he's going to play with Matthew Joseph tomorrow and, and Ridley Gregg. And I think a function of that, Jeff, is exactly what you pointed out, which is, mm-hmm. hey, I think Matthew Joseph is going right now. Like he's, he's moving his feet and oh, maybe yeah. that'll get Tarasenko going. So you're going to see Tarasenko with Matthew Joseph tomorrow. And I'm, I, I'm willing to give it some, some time for sure, but I think you're right. Like the, the scrutiny will come on because I think a lot of people look at the signing of Tarasenko as you pick, you, you prioritize him over Pinto. And once you did that, yes, yes. planted a yes. flag into the ground. And so he, he better produce. And then we we got to be patient with him, but it's going to be an interesting uh, storyline to follow for sure. Absolutely. Uh, you're the best. Ian, thanks as always for sharpening the pencil on this one. Um, enjoy the weekend. Like, it, listen, it's it's wonderful time in Ottawa right now, despite the, despite the, the setback against Carolina. Uh, new owner, Alfredson back. Uh, games against Philadelphia and Tampa on the horizon this weekend. Enjoy it, my friend. We'll check back soon. All right. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me, Jeff.
Ian Mendez from the Athletic covering the uh, the Ottawa Senators. Matt Marchese aboard to, to wrap up the uh, the show and the week uh, that was, I guess, the first full time week of the uh, the program uh, on all of our radio stations and Sportsnet 360. So, uh, thanks to everybody who uh, paid even just a little bit of attention uh, here. Anything jump out at you? I mean, the Bedard story is a big one that we've been banging that drum all week long. But outside of Connor Bedard, Matt Marchese, anything jump out at you from the week that was the first week? So let's get way ahead of ourselves. Here. Here and anything jump out at you from the first week of, uh, of NHL action? Yeah, Philip Gustafson's going to win the Vesna Trophy. He's going to play more games this year. Holy He's going to win the Vesna Trophy. Good. Yep, he was excellent last night. I think it was you know, 21 slot a- shots he saved. Like, that's insane. Yeah, 41 shots. Like, if I'm the Florida Panthers, I know it's a 2 nothing setback. I'm still feeling okay about that. Yeah. Because you look they at that goalied. shot differential and you say to yourself, if if we play like, yeah, we got goalied. Like, Augustusson was fantastic and justified being the uh, the opening night starter. Brock Faber was great, too, uh, in that game as well. Anything else uh, bounce out at you? I like the Rangers' performance last night and a great night for Alexi Lafreniere. Yeah, great night for Lafreniere bouncing back there. I'm curious to see how the Oilers bounce back tomorrow night because they, they ain't getting eight put up on them again. And I don't think Vancouver is thinking they're going to score eight. So that's going to be very interesting tomorrow night. How did Ilya Brzgalov describe playing against Team Canada back at the Olympics in that opening period before he got hooked? He said something along the lines of Canada came out uh, came out at us like gorillas released from a cage. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like him, actually. Uh, I, I, th- I, I think we're going to see that on Saturday with the Edmonton Oilers who are still feeling burned after getting burned on Wednesday by the Vancouver Canucks. That is your nightcap game on Hockey Night in Canada. Enjoy it. Merrick Show returns across the Sportsnet Radio Network and 360 on Monday.